Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So tonight, uh, we're going to be in Genesis again, so just want to thank you all for making it out tonight. Uh, Very grateful to have the opportunity to be up here and to share again uh, in Genesis. For those of you that have been here, you probably know we've been going through uh, Genesis for a while now. Uh, I forget now how many I've done, but uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 tonight. Uh, we've been taking our time, especially when we were going around creation. We were hitting on uh, each day uh, as, a, as a lesson, and we really got deep. Those are available online. If anybody wants to go back and watch those, they're, they're on the website. Um, uh, but for tonight, we're going to be getting into Genesis chapter 3. Um, I don't have any slides tonight. Um, we basically, uh, usually I'll have some slides that always kind of go along with what I'm um, seeing, but I didn't. You know, it was for tonight we're going to be talking about the fall of man. So I figured uh, I didn't need to put any slides up. If you want to see the fall of man, you could uh, just turn on the news and you'll see the fall of man. So, so we'll leave it at that for now. Uh, so, uh, so we're going to be getting into chapter 3. It's really a pivotal point uh, in the Bible. I think it's probably one of, as I was studying, uh, the most important parts of the whole Bible. Uh, you know, there are many very important parts, but this is definitely a, a pivotal or a tipping point, I would say. We get uh, introduced to some very big topics for the first time in the Bible uh, in this chapter. Uh, the, uh, we're going to be introduced for the first time to Satan. Uh, we'll also be introduced to sin, uh, you know, the first sin here. Uh, w- as we go through chapter 3, we'll, we'll be introduced to hear about some of the first prophecy, uh, as well as blood atonement, uh, which will come out in chapter 3. Now, uh, because this ch- chapter really covers a lot, I'm going to slow it down a little bit, um, uh, and we're going to go through it a little bit slow, because there's, there's quite a bit in this one. Uh, some of the chapters in Genesis will probably accelerate a, l- a little bit faster, but Tonight we're going to be covering verses 1 through 6, uh, and so uh, I think that, that'll be where we, we stay focused tonight. And, you know, it's interesting because as I was studying this, honestly, if you, if you sort of look at the Bible from the beginning to the end, right, so the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, you know, you look at chapters 1 and 2, which we've, we've completed, this is all about how God made everything, right? And how it's good, and in the, day, in the case of day six, it's very good, right? And, you know, everything's perfect. There's no sin, there's no death, there's no troubles. You know, those first two chapters are really great, right? Really amazing. But then comes chapter three, which is what we're going to get into, and this is where everything goes terribly wrong, right? Everything just sort of kind of comes unglued, and from that point on all the way to the end of Revelation, we see God putting in a perfect plan to deal with the fact of the sin that took place in this, in what we're going to study tonight. So I think that's going to be 
you know, you know, very, you know, very interesting for us tonight to go through. So, um, as I said, it's a it's a pivotal chapter. If you want to open your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Genesis uh, three verses one through six. There'll be some other verses. I think they have them. They'll put them up on the screen um, uh, for us tonight. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive in, and we're going to first read through all all six verses, and then we'll we'll pick up and start breaking it down. So in verse one it says, "So now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord had made." And he said to the woman, "Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree, uh, and and a tree desirable to make uh, one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. So let's start by. You know, working through this first verse again. So I'm I'm just going to read it again. Just so now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden?" Now, when it talks about the serpent here, we all understand. You know, we're talking about Satan, right? And so. The Hebrew word for serpent in this particular passage, as I looked it up, was nashash. Nashash. So I always have trouble with these words pronouncing sometimes, but it's nashash, and what it means is exactly what it says, right? Serpent, snake, and so forth. But what was interesting is I kind of dug into it a little bit deeper, and and you look at the root words. Uh, in in particular, you actually look at the passive participle of this word of nashash. You find that the word for copper or bronze, so something shiny, right? So I thought that was it was kind of interesting. So as I as I looked at that, it, it sort of led me to think that this serpent had a very shiny appearance to it, right? So it was it was shiny uh, and something you know polished about it, if you will, slick maybe. Um, and we've read about this in other parts of the Bible, where Satan is shiny or bright, right? For example, in Second Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, "And and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light." So he's, he has the ability to come off, you know, in this shiny sense. So, no matter, you know, what this kind of tells me is that no matter how scary they make the movies, you know, with the devil and so forth, and how you know awful he looks. Hollywood tries to portray him. I think actually he's very charming and very appealing. I don't think that it's it's a, a scary figure whatsoever. 
I think he, he comes across, you know, very smooth and slick. I think this is how Trayton, uh, Satan, it's one of his tricks, right? It's how he tricks us, how he can uh, lure us in. You know, he tries to seem uh, very attractive and appealing, and, and he tries to tempt as many people as he can into sinning. That's, that's really his ultimate goal, right? Is to lure us away from God and, and take us down to hell. So, uh, so he shows up as a bright, shiny serpent here, and he talks to the woman. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, the form he takes here, this form of the certain, obviously is something that is very approachable. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe we wouldn't think of that today. So if you think about snakes today, I don't think any of us are approaching snakes uh, very quickly, right? We tend, most people tend to be very afraid of them. Uh, you know, some people like them and so forth, but most people don't want to have anything to do with them and would be probably very happy if they never saw one at all, right, and had to deal with one. So, you know, but apparently, you know, in this case, you know, the snake was approachable. So, um, but, uh, so the woman, you know, she, she you know, in the, as we learn further down in the chapter, this is Eve, of course, right, so... Uh, is not scared of the serpent at all. So, you know, we, as we remember, you know, it's, it's not until after the flood that animals and, and humans sort of have a fear of, of each other. So before that, before the flood, you know, animals, you know, are friendly. So I guess this kind of makes sense. Um, also, since sin hadn't entered yet, uh, it's about to, but it hasn't entered yet, there wasn't any, you know, fear in, in that situation either. So I think that that is another reason why that was, you know, approachable to her. I'm not too sure about this, but um, I don't know if all the, you know, animals, you know, could talk or not. Uh, but, you know, Eve doesn't seem to be too shocked that the snake is speaking to her. So it's actually talking to her. So... She's not alarmed. I know if, 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 if uh, my dog started talking to me, I, I'd be pretty freaked out. So, uh, you know, and, and I'd also kind of probably think like, hey, how can I make some money off of this, right? It's like I got a talking dog. Um, uh, but the Bible doesn't really tell us, so I'm not sure. So, but, it, you know, it would seem that, you know, that, that makes sense, right? The snake's talking to her, so uh, it's probably okay. Now, the Bible does tell us stories, though, about Satan and who Satan, you know, he shows up as snakes often uh, in the Bible, but we know that, you know, he's an angel named Lucifer, which meant morning star. We know that Lucifer was kicked out of heaven because he was uh, too proud and he wanted to be uh, as powerful or even more powerful than God. Uh, we see this account in Isaiah 14. The Bible, uh, you know, uses a story there to explain what happened to Lucifer. And so, and this, I think, plays a role into this. So in particular, in verses 12 through 15, and I'll go ahead and read those, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the Most High. Yet 
you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. So that accounts for the fall of Lucifer, of Satan. And, be, and because he had big ego and big plans and so forth, he got tossed out of heaven. Now, Satan isn't just mad at God, okay, uh, for being tossed out. He's also mad at people, at humans, right? Why? Because we were made in God's image. We have the body and the mind and the spirit. So Satan is so jealous that he, he went after humans. He's trying to make them do bad things. He wants to take them away from God. So here he's appearing as this serpent. He's speaking, uh, speaks first to the woman and begins a dialogue by saying, as we, as we read in, in Genesis, it says, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Now, what we are going to notice here is one of Satan's tactics. Okay, Satan tries to trick people into thinking God isn't good and He isn't truthful. And He tries to use words to mince words with us in our ear, right? To try to make that happen. He tries to twist God's words and make them seem like there's something that He didn't say. Even going as far as ca calling God a liar, which we'll actually see tonight. He'll, he'll uh, by saying the opposite of what God said and by, you know, um, basically... Uh, said about dying and the consequence of the disobedience if they were to eat the, eat, eat the fruit, eat of the tree. So it's like Satan is always trying to put negative thoughts you know, into our head. He's always trying to make us doubt God's love for us. Uh, he's always trying to make us think that we're not good enough or that we're uh, really not really forgiven for the things that we've done wrong. But remember, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. Because lying is what he does best, right? The only thing that we have to remember is Satan's main goal is to make us, really bring us down, feel bad about ourselves and our relationship with God and, and, and wreak that happen, you know, havoc. He'll, he'll speak into our ears. He'll tell us things. He'll say like, you know, God doesn't love you, right? Or there's no way God can forgive you for what you've done. Or you're a terrible person. What makes you think God wants to be with you? You know, those are all lies, but we'll, we'll tell people that. And we see a hurting world that we live in today that is suffering from hearing those lies constantly over and over. They're struggling with these things. And that's all he wants to do. He wants to just take, take away God's creation and, and suck them down uh, with him. Because in the end, you know, we know where he ends up. Um, but we can remember this, and this is something we can stand on. Jesus told us this in John 10.10, 10, right? About, about Satan. You know, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But yet I have come that, there may, they, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so we can stand on that promise. Satan does not have power over us because we are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we just have to be strong. We have to stay in our in prayer. We have to be vigilant, you know, against him. But we hold the power because of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So now, as we, as we read on and we go into verse 2 and 3, we see the woman's response to Satan's question. And she says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the, fr- the fruit of the trees from the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God sa- uh, has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, in the way that she responded here, it's not exactly explaining God's Word, right? If we look back at chapter 2, God said this uh, to, to Adam, right? He said, And the Lord God commanded, this is chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Alright, so that's what God said to Adam. Now when we go back to chapter 3, uh, verses 2 and 3, we see where Eve, in this case, right, where she left out words like freely, surely, uh, and she added words not to touch it. Those things were never said, right? And the other words were taken out. Now, she did not recite, basically, the instructions accurately. So, I think this is important um, because it ties to a bigger, a, bigger, a bigger concept, and it ties in to this specifically. So, it says, so, I think that it's important because whenever you add words to God, right? whenever you add words to the Word of God, you're promoting legalism, right? And whenever you subtract words from God's Word, when you take things out, you're producing liberalism, right? These are two key concepts. And if you think about that for a moment, you know, we can kind of break that down, right? So whenever you add a ba- anything to the basic commandments of God, what you're doing is you're imposing a standard that is more than what God actually said, right? God said something very specifically, what they were allowed to do and so forth. And she's already sort of adding into that, right? And this is true in our own lives, right? If we, we, we see it happening all the time today, you know, where things are being imposed and added on to the Word of God, which are not true, and they're creating havoc and they're creating chaos in our world because it's not what God intended. Um, the same thing works, again, like taking it away. So when you start subtracting things, you end up producing liberalism. You, you begin taking things away. And unfortunately, this is happening for many of our liberal churches today. As, as you go out and look, and I've been surveying you know, lots of churches and, and, and as I study and so forth, and I, and I see this more and more prevalent than I, than I used to see it before I started you know, studying more intensely. And uh, you know, it's, it's just uh, you know, quite shocking. There was a, in one of the message that I, messages that I happened to be listening to, I thought it was a good story because it fit in really well with this. It was um, the, the pastor I was listening to, it's a good pastor, uh, and uh, uh, I was listening to the message, and basically he was talking about this particular topic, and he said um, he was giving a, uh, he was basically, uh, for his cousin, he was uh, officiating, or co-officiating, I guess, uh, a wedding. And in particular, in this wedding, 
um, his cousin had asked him to read certain scriptures. And those scriptures that, that he had asked him to read were in, from Ephesians. Okay, And in Ephesians, it was discussing uh, the submit, submissiveness of the wife to the husband. And, and he wanted it to be read word for word, you know, the scriptures. And so he was going to do that. Uh, but the other pastor, the pastor of the church that was co-officiating, they, they actually got into quite a bit of a conflict over that because he was saying, no, I don't want you to read that. I don't want you to read that, that verse. We can't read that. That's, we can't do that. And so, you know, the, the, they're going back and forth about why. And that pastor basically said, well, you know, those scriptures, those, those words are antiquated. They're, they're relevant only for the first century. And he actually went as far as criticizing the Apostle Paul's views as being chauvinistic. And of course, this got the pastor pretty upset. And um, so they went back and forth. They still co-officiated, but he read the scriptures as they should be read. And the guy got mad about it, but he said, I don't care. I'm not going to see him again. So I'm, I'm doing what my cousin asks and what God wants me to do, period. But, you know, this is something that's going on. So I thought, you know, that story kind of ties in. There's a lot of liberal churches today that are removing, liberalizing, if you will, God's word. And, you know, you see it. You see churches that are now condoning same-sex marriages. You're seeing churches that are condoning homosexuality or even ordaining homosexuals into the ministry. And we know God's word is very clear about this, that that is not right, right? We cannot have that. So where is all this coming from? Well, it's coming from people removing you know, God's Word from, you know, what it is. They're, they're taking the stuff out that they don't want. They're creating liberalism. So, and that's also happening here, right? It's exactly happening here because she's leaving out a few essential words like freely, right? That's a big word. God says freely. She's denying the full value of everything God was saying there by leaving that word out. Um, she also said, uh, it says, you're free to eat from any tree. Well, she left out the word any. Again, she's devaluing, in that case, God's word, right? What he actually said. And on top of that, she added to it, you know, which was not said. God didn't say, you know, nor shall you touch. He didn't say that. So this is all very problematic, and because of this, in verses 4 and 5, Satan pushes back and basically calls God a liar. He uses that to call God a liar. Okay, So you see that in verses 4 and 5. It says, Then the serpent, Satan, right, said to the woman, You will not surely die. right? For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? So he spun this around on the fact that she left that out and you know, serves back a lie right, to, to, to her. Now, there's obviously some truth to what he said in that, in, in the words. It's mixed up. You know, there's things that we know in hindsight, right? We know uh, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because we've learned over time that you know, if they do eat of it, they will know the difference between good and bad. Right now, they only know good, uh, but they know if they eat of it, this is, this is going to occur, right? We can read back and, and, and we know what's going to happen. Um, we also know that if they eat of it, they're going to feel embarrassed, right? They're going to feel ashamed. 
uh, be, for being naked. Uh, and this is going to bring a feeling of guilt upon them, something that they haven't felt before because they've not done anything wrong before. So this is, this is going to be what, what you know, comes out of that. But we also see the lie that's being said there by Satan, right? The lie is, is that, that they won't die. We know that they will, right? If they eat of that tree, um, that's where the dying process starts, right? That sets it in motion, right? Once that occurs, that's, that's exactly what happened. And we, we know that by the account of history. So, and then, this is where it all goes terribly wrong, right? This is, this is where the pivotal sort of tipping point uh, verse here of all of this is in verse 6 where it says, So, when the, women's, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and that the tree, uh, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So, as we start here, let's make a point about this particular verse, right? It's an important thing to recognize how sin will often enter our lives in sort of three main ways, right? Um, and so when it says here that the woman noticed and saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that was one way for sin to enter. When she said that it was pleasing to the eye, that was a second way for sinner, sin to enter. And finally, when she said it was also desirable for gaining wisdom, that was a third way for sin to enter. Okay? It's a parallel, right? And we can see this. If we look and read in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, we'll see how this kind of comes together. So in 15 it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So, if we kind of say that again, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? That is exactly what happened in Eve's heart at that moment in time, right? Because we notice again, it says that she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh, right? We also see that it was pleasing to her eye, that it was attractive to her eye. So there's the lust of the eye for reaching for that fruit, right? And then the, des the, the desirable to gain wisdom, you know, to get really smart, right? That's the pride of life. I, wa I want to better myself. I want to be better, right? So, not, you know, it's the pride of life, right? We all have to understand that Satan will use these same tactics these three doorways, if you will, to try and tempt all of us. We're always being tempted this way. And, it, you know, we have to always be on our guard, you know, against the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Those are the doorways into our heart. And He'll use them to tempt us and to cause us to try to sin. Amen? So... Now, when we, when we continue on in that particular verse and we talk about Eve, you know, and she took and she ate and she sinned, okay? It's noteworthy that we turn and say, okay, where's Adam in this, in this story, right? 
Well, you know, he's right there, right? He's standing right next to her. And, you know, because it says that she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So you would think that he might have spoken up and said, whoa, time out. Wait a minute. You know, uh, God told me that we shouldn't eat this thing. And, 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 you know, he was the one that got, he got the, the notice, right? You know, the memo from God. He knew I shouldn't be eating this. But of course, he just sits there in this verse, silent. He says nothing, right? Unfortunately, what we have here, I think, is a portrait of sort of the first wimpy man. I mean, right? He, he said nothing. He was compliant. Amen? It creates a picture, I think, of a lack of responsibility, right? Adam does nothing to rise to the occasion to, to intervene. You know, the original instruction was given to Adam as to what chapter 2 said. Now, it's a note. You know, we don't know if Eve uh, overheard that or not. It doesn't say, so we don't know. In the way things are laid out, I think not. Or if it was Adam's responsibility to give her the message so that she understood clearly what she was supposed to do and not do because God had told him. But that was a breakdown, right? Either way, you know, he was just standing there, right? He didn't do anything. So unfortunately, I think today, and this sort of kind of tied back into to, to today, you know, it's a portrait that we seem to carry forward with many of today's men as we look out across the world and we look out uh, on the news and we look at, you know, what's going on in current events and so forth. You know, we, we see this sort of happening. We have... We have men, uh, I don't even know if you would necessarily call them men, but you have males that are, that are not rising to be the spiritual leaders that they need to be. You know, whether it be for their families, whether it be for their countries, whether it be for their churches, whatever the case may be, they're not stepping up to the level that they need to. And it's a problem that we're facing today. The problems that we see when you turn on the news every day, it's, it's, it's because we're not standing where we need to be standing and fighting the fight that we need to be fighting. I'm not trying to point fingers, um, but I am highlighting, you know, that many churches I see today, it's the women who are really active and are keeping things running. You know, it isn't because uh, women, I think, want to take that job or take over. I think it's just a, a fact that it needs to be done, and, so, uh, and the men aren't stepping up. Um, and, uh, you know, I know, I know that's you know, not 100% true here in this church, but I've seen it in a lot of other churches that I've traveled to see that you're just not seeing the men step up and do what they need to do. I think the root of this is selfishness. Uh, I think that's the root of a lot of things that are going on in this world today. Uh, and um, I think, you know, the selfishness sort of being self-absorbed, um, you know, just uh, not really putting God first, not thinking of each other, not thinking of our nation, not thinking of anything other than self. So we need to be praying for this nation, in particular for the men of our nation, for a godly awakening. Um, it's something that I know uh, my wife and I pray for every day. I'm sure a lot of you are praying for every day, but we need to be very vigilant about that. We need to be, those that are strong leaders, need to be bringing our our 
younger men and women underneath, I mean men in particular underneath our, our, our wings and, 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 and cultivating them and helping them and guiding them. It's definitely an area where I think the church needs to work on and, and, and work on more to overcome. Amen? Amen. But um, as I studied, as I will continue on, kind of get back here, as I studied for the lesson, I did come across one more uh, reference as I was studying, and I wanted to share it. It was, it was a predominant topic, um, and I'll just sort of bring it out, and then I'll, I'll sort of tell you what I think, and I'll leave it at that, and um, we can definitely talk to Pastor Joe some more. But uh, it, in 1 Timothy 2.14, um, uh, the Apostle Paul is making an account here of Adam, and it said, in 14, it says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Now, whether this statement by the Apostle Paul means that, that you know, Adam was fully aware that he was willfully defying God, or whether it just simply means that Adam was not the initial one whom Satan you know, attacked you know, uh, in his deception, it's not really clear. So, you know, I'm not quite sure. Paul does go on to say that the woman uh, being deceived uh, was in the transgression, which seems to place blame uh, on her accounting, uh, you know, for the, for, you know, being cursed and being made subject to man. You know, many have suggested that, that maybe Adam did this out of love for Eve. I, I, uh, um, not quite sure that I get there, uh, but I did read a lot about that. Uh, I, I, myself, you know, it would make his motives, I think, for Adam to appear noble in sinning, and I don't think the Bible implies that at all. I mean, his sin was deliberate, it was wicked, it was inexcusable, right? I mean, there's, there's, you can't get out of sin. When you sin, you sin. Um, so it's kind of the bottom line. And, uh, and it does, it, there is scripture that supports, I think, in fact, that it was not by Eve's sin. This is, this is out of, uh, I don't think I put this up, but it's out of 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Um, but it was uh, not by Eve's sin, but by Adam, that sin, this is where the scripture is, sin entered into the world and death by sin. All future human beings were, again, uh, in, in, in quote here, in Adam. Right, and even Eve herself being formed of the man. That's from First Corinthians eleven eight, um, and he was really truly uh, what you would call the federal head of the race. I mean, he was the first man, right? And through the offense, this is in Romans five fifteen, uh, through the offense of the one, many be dead. So, either way. The choices that were made, you know, in this verse have wreaked havoc and continue to wreak havoc on our entire world. It's a, it's a pivotal point. That one particular verse is where everything changed and transitioned from being perfect and beautiful and God's creation to sin and everything else is redemption from then on, right? Trying to get back to that place. But, you know, as we started out, you know, tonight, you know, we talked about that from Genesis to, to Revelation. But the beauty is God put a plan in place. And 
he loved us so much that that plan would include his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and shed his blood and be raised, you know, from the grave and to ascend into heaven. And just as we read in John 3.16, where that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the promise right there. That's what changed what happened in verse 6. It gave us a pathway back to him. And it's that particular, those particular words. So it's the one and only truth that really matters. So, um, so with that, um, I'll close for this and we'll pick up on verse 7 next time that I'm up here and continue on. And, it, it, and, uh, and we'll open, uh, I mean, I'll uh, close with some prayer right now. So Heavenly Father, we, we thank You again for this Word. Father, we thank You for Your message. Father, most of all, Lord God, we, we thank You that You sent Your Son to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. Because without that, Father, we would be just lost and we would just be aimless, Lord. And we're so grateful that we have that promise, that we have You fighting in our camp, Lord. And we just pray right now, Lord. We pray for all those that... Uh, that are out there in this world, Lord. We pray for a great revival, Father, for so many people across this world. We pray, Father, that Your Word will just continue to grow and spread and that the good news will touch every single soul, Lord. There's not a person on this planet, Lord, that we want to, to leave this earth, Lord, without knowing You and without making a choice to choose You, Father God. So go before us tonight. Keep us all safe on the road. We pray for those that are online, Lord. We pray for those that are uh, home uh, watching that may be sick, Lord. Uh, we pray for healing for them. Go before us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.